Hi, and welcome to the final report, where HMC Investigations teams up with former criminal defense attorney Fletcher Long and author and research specialist Tracy Ellis to discuss real live cases. Some episodes are live and some are not, but don't worry, we want to hear from you. For questions and comments, send an email to thefinalreportpodcast at gmail.com. Today on The Final Report, we'll be discussing a case of a missing girl from Liberty, Missouri, who did not make it home for her mother's birthday, despite having plans with her older sister for that special day. Guys, I know I've said this before, but these cases choose us, not the other way around. Liberty is just outside of my hometown, which is Kansas City, Missouri. And a couple of months ago, I got a call from someone who I hadn't spoken to in over a decade. She said that she had information on this case, and then she ghosted me. When I was finally able to get back in touch with her, she explained to me that there had been a family emergency, and she was really upset with me because I had given her name to the family and authorities. Um, She, like everyone else around there and surrounding most cases like this one, is terrified for her life of what they might do to her if they found out that she told somebody. Um, After reaching out to the family and doing some research, I learned that the person who contacted me is not the only connection that I have to this case. I've also had dealings with another individual whom I shall not name, but is mentioned quite frequently in the media surrounding this case. So being the believer in fate that I am, I have followed my instincts and dove headfirst into this case. Tracy, would you mind going ahead and hitting us with the basic facts? Well... The facts are not always the facts. <laughs> the facts that uh, I found, uh, they kind of don't always agree with each other, but they're slight here and there, and we'll just go forward from from the timeline. Uh, her name is Desiree Ferris, and she was 18 when she went missing. She's uh, is 19 now. She went missing on May 1st, 2017. Keegan, there's a gentleman by the name of Keegan. Uh, his first name, what is his first name is? Heather? Jason. Jason? It's Jason. Oh, Jason mm-hmm. Keegan. Okay. He dropped off Desiree and a witness off at a McDonald's in Kansas City. On Van Brunt Boulevard. Do you know that McDonald's? Yes. It's a really bad area of town. Okay. At 5 p.m. And this was on May 1st. A gentleman by the name of Mark Arzola. Is that Mm -hmm. how it's pronounced? Yes. gave, Gave Desiree and the witness... A ride to another McDonald's on 291 Highway in Liberty. Now, it seems to me McDonald's must be a transactional place for transactions. Either. (laughs) Yeah. And um, the witness got out of the vehicle, but Desiree stayed in the vehicle with Arzola. Arzola then went to a house. Some say it was his house. Some say it was not. Around 1.30 a.m. on May 2nd, he says Desiree got into a white truck. They say she was last seen on May 1st, 
but this shows it as May 2nd, according to Arzola. So I'm not quite sure what they mean by that she was last seen on May 1st. Well, okay, so we now know that the white truck was actually a silver truck that was lent to uh, a, an individual named Ashley. We'll leave her last name out. But it had been lent to her, and then she was, from what I understand, just kind of lending it to whoever. And at this point in time, she had lent it to Jason Keegan. And... Uh, Jason Keegan had it at this time, and that is who picked her up from Mark Garzola's. Which is on May 2nd. And In the early morning hours, yes, right. of May 2nd. And mm -hmm. they said that there were 23 text messages between Jason Keegan and Desiree Ferris during right. that time. And she was going to, um, she texted her sister and said, I'm coming home. Uh, her mother's to this birthday party that she had planned to attend with her sister for her mom. So that's showing that she was seen May 2nd, not May 1st, as it said. Now, Arzola right. is, is in custody as of February. In, in February, the time of this, he was in custody at with Cass County in violation of probation, controlled substance, and resisting arrest. And Jason Keegan is in federal custody, indicted on conspiracy to distribute methamphetamine, possession of methamphetamine, and firearms. I, I think I think that's correct. Of course, I've got the criminal records of the individuals that you've just mentioned. And I wanted to also point out that Keegan does not have a valid driver's license. That probably is the least of the things Oh my! They, we but, better but lock he's, him up. He's, yeah, he said. <laughs> I hope one of the text messages from uh, Desiree was, "Hey, have you gotten your driver's license?" Because he does not have a valid driver's license. Uh, one of the weapons that he was in possession of that resulted in charges was a was a a weapon with a silencer, which is somewhat. Um, you you don't you don't see that a lot. I mean, people that are running around with a with a weapon that has a silencer on it is generally intending to perpetrate some degree of malfeasance. You just don't have a silencer for hunting. But as for uh, the one that I think would probably have more of the, even more of a criminal record than um, Keegan was Arzola. Uh, Ar Arzola had served some time in the Moberly Correctional Center for felony drug uh, uh, distribution he got a five-year sentence. One, a lot of his drug charges, the marijuana charges in Miss, in Missouri, and I've looked this up, so I'm, I'm not going off my own individual knowledge, but something I found online. Apparently, between 10 and 35 grams is an A misdemeanor in Missouri, but uh, one of these charges down here in this criminal record check indicates that he got a five-year sentence, which, I, if assuming that Tennessee and Missouri have similar criminal construct, uh, sentencing con con constructs, a five-year sentence would mean it was somewhere around probably a, a, a C to a B felony, pre pretty serious felony offense, which would indicate quite a, f a large amount of, of uh, narcotic. Now, are they both still in custody? Uh, I know that Arzola's in custody. I sent y'all some nice shots of him uh, in custody to our group text.
And you said that Keegan's in custody too. Yes. So um, my question is, what are all these people in? I, I understand there's the long arms of people that are in behind bars, but um, they're in fear of someone that's not in custody. Even though these might be big time drug dealers, you know, in the grand scheme of things, in the grand scheme of the organized crime world, they are peons. They are the dirty boys. They do the dirty work. You know, somewhere out there, the, these boys involved in this, they're, they're on the inner circle, but somewhere out there beyond them, there's, there's a bigger picture. There's a, there's a bigger force. And these little boys made a mess. And it was not, you know, I don't think it was, it obviously wasn't something planned. It wasn't, you know, part of the business, but they made a mess. And since then, there's been some damage control. Um, I don't know how much of the interviews that you guys have listened to, but this, just like the Nico Lisi case, you know, some of the boys, some of the people involved in this catastrophe have since come up dead. Um, which seems to be kind of a you know common denominator in these sort of cases when you're dealing with uh, organized crime such as MS-13s, which I believe we're also dealing with here as we were with Nico Lisi's case. These people are just faceless, nameless. These these poor girls that are getting involved in this stuff, they re think they're important to them. Well, they just don't know what they're getting involved with because, you know, like I said, these boys that she was running around with, even though they might have been heavy movers in the drug community, you know, the people, you know, they were low on the totem pole. The people above them are the ones that really are to be feared. And that is who, like, the person that contacted me and other people I've talked to, that's who they're really afraid of because these are people that are n just untouchable. Well, you know, Heather and Tracy, this is, again, you, the three of us first came together in uh, the Holly Bobo case, and there were um, intimations of organized criminal elements involved uh, in that situation as well, including the targets of the investigation holding out that they were so involved with organized crime and drug distribution so it's pretty it's something that you kind of run into uh uh in, in when you're when you investigate cases of this nature um and of course it strikes really close to home for you heather because you're from there and and you're you're familiar with some of the um elements uh, that are being described that it, it appears people are afraid or are trying to sweep up the the litter that's been left here you know that's why they started the the, the racketeering statutes and the rico act was because the people that are down there on the street corner slinging are not really in charge of much i mean they are the soldier they're they're peons they're they're the transactional people they're not the people that they're they're not the people that are the um uh directors of well they think people. they're big shit they think they're big shit but they're not well they put out that they're big and I, I think i think that young ladies are intoxicated with the appearance that this is something the that, bad boys that, yeah i think that they've always they've always liked the there's always been that um penchant for uh the bad boy it's what's made some women get involved with one percenters they get involved with uh with uh, different 
soldiers in in the uh, in the capo regime of of the mafiosi, for instance. I mean, they they get involved with the gangsters and in MS thirteen and and the like because they like that that bad boy uh, persona. And and I think that whatever you talking about, I would have no idea what you are talking about right now. I just, I'm clueless. <laughs> it's completely completely foreign to you, I'm sure. But uh, but that persona, that persona is exactly what we're talking about. A persona is a mask. It's simply a mask. And these girls do not see that what's behind the mask. They don't see at first the down and dirty and the fact these people could give a flying fuck about these girls. Well, and they really just don't recognize the danger. They they just don't. I mean, I think that especially in that area, and uh, again, I would I would know that area pretty well. I mean, it's something that you grow up around, and that you know you see. Well, uh, an- another thing that these ladies don't understand is that these guys that they're hanging around, like the two individuals that we discussed earlier, they're not. They're really if if they're slinging dimes on a street corner, they're not high up in anything. They're pretty much, pretty much is the bottom rung of the ladder. Exactly. Have you guys seen Narcos at all? The Netflix series? No, I have not. I'm not, I'm not being, you know, paid to promote right now. I'm not hired by Netflix, but um, that's the second Netflix thing you've, you've, put. well, I don't know. I think no, you are. maybe I might have some stock here and there, but no, um, Narcos is, uh, it's based on the story of Pablo Escobar and, um, I'm familiar with the story. Right. Okay. So, but in, in Narcos, you've got, you know, the big guy and then you've got his, uh, want to say it's his nephew or some family member of his and the family member is just you know just fucking shit up left and right you know and they keep having to go in do damage control they're you know trying to keep him alive because all the other gangs just want him dead because he's screwing up and um and i feel like that's kind of what with this with this case and probably a lot of cases is that you know it's the same thing i mean out here like i was saying earlier you've got this outer circle those guys are businessmen and while they are not, they will not hesitate to put a cap in somebody's head if it's called for, but it's business, not that that makes it better, but it's business. Well, then you've got these sloppy, you know, just party going, you know, that are, that are using the same drugs that they're, they're, they're selling, you know, and just, um, you know, using their, their, you know, their position, their status, their clout to like reel in these young vulnerable naive girls and you know seduce them with this life of you know what appears to be power and money and uh and they're just messing up left and right and these kids like we were talking about earlier like you know when it comes down to it the businessmen will put them out just as quick as they'll put anyone out if they are making it hot on them and they will also say you go put that girl out i don't want any loose ends that girl, that girl, that girl, they got to go. I don't think that's what happened, though. You don't? Let me interject something here, because I've, uh, I'm very good friends and have interviewed several times a guy that is probably one of the most famous uh, leaders in the history of a motorcycle club known as Hell's Angels. And his name is George Christie. I've interviewed him several times. You can go to my 
SoundCloud if my uh, credit card wasn't rejected. I think I don't know if I had my SoundCloud. <laughs> I don't know if that payment went went through this year or not. I think it was my sister's card. But anyway, uh, I did several interviews with George Christie, and and the general structure of an or of a criminal organization, you have the working units, and those are the people doing the you know the burglars, the thieves, the prostitutes, extortionists, the street gang members. Then you have the middle rung is the support group. Uh, they, they are the organizers of specific crimes, the burglars, the thieves, and, and the security group. And these are the people that are the, uh, the physical and operational uh, supports, the leg breakers and the like. And then up at the top of the structure in an organized criminal unit, you have what's called the, the what's known as the elite. Now, this is an oversimplified uh, pyramid, you know. But you have the elite group, which is the management of the organization and in charge of like organizational ideology. And uh, the, these women that are getting sucked in to uh, running around with people like Arzola and, and, and Keegan, you know, they are in the, these guys are in the working group, you know, um, under the, under the mafia, the, the, the lowest form of the mafia were the soldiers. And then above them, you had some lieutenants and then you had an underboss. You had a, 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 a consigliere and then the boss. You know, that, that was kind of the simplified uh, version of mafia structure. And, and I guess, you know, I guess Hell's Angels was kind of the same way. But they're getting sucked in to running around by... You know they're not running around with with Tony Soprano. You know they're they're running around with, you know the the peons. So you know I think that another element of this needs to be discussed. Um, and it's interesting how it, it again, like I feel like with some of these cases, it's it's the same, it's the same case, just a different victim. It's you know because this one this one is a little bit of Nico Lisi and a little bit of Karen Swift. Because um, Desiree was uh, involved with um, a man, a much older man, and we don't know exactly the um, nature of that relationship, but he was actually, she was actually staying with him and that he had actually picked her up from her house a couple times. And um, the way I've heard it described is that a portion of this man's house was his house and another portion was like a hotel. And it's been speculated that, you know, there may have been some things going on. Uh, right. That she was being groomed. She was being groomed. More than groomed. Yeah. That she may have. And another aspect of it is that we had, um, I'd, I'd, I'd received some information from somebody who was very close to the case saying that, um, there had maybe been some online ads uh, talking about smash for cash, um, things of that nature. So there may have been a prostitution element to this. Um, and this man, his connection to the exotic dancing community and his connection to some of these same people. Now, she was introduced to that man through her ex-boyfriend and then it kind of just became a domino effect where you know she went from her boyfriend to being uh associated with this man to being associated with mark arzola to being associated with jason keegan i don't know if it was necessarily that order 
but it it all just rolled in all rolled into one the boyfriend was probably chose her anyway he was probably i mean why would you introduce your girlfriend to somebody like that if unless it was because you were getting a piece of the money or something because and at the center of it all is drugs right um drugs and, and prostitution because why else do they want these girls around come on they don't want these girls around for nothing Right. Drugs, prostitution and, and weapons. It's all, it's just all the, and, and it, and it has been said that, um, that we are dealing with the MS 13s, um, supposedly out of St. Louis, um, which doesn't surprise me there. It's a really big problem in that area right now. But, uh, Fletcher, what do you think about that Facebook post that I sent you a screenshot of? Did you see it? Um, I, well, is it in the Dropbox? It was never, I never got it's, a notice. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's in the Dropbox, you guys. Go look at that. So, oh, okay. Because I didn't well, see I'll, it either. So, so what, is it, what does it say? So okay, I'll, I'll read it to you. It was on the Bring Desiree Ferris homepage, um, their Facebook page. And it has a picture of, um, you know, a, uh, a bulletin board on the side of the road that says Desiree Ann Ferris missing since May 2017 and then a phone number. And above it, it says, and this is uh, her stepmother, Jennifer Ferris, had, had posted this. And it says, take all trap houses down along with them. How about that? And Mark Arzola III who is um, the one that was involved in this is son, from what I understand, says, laugh out loud. You can't de- take down shit. I hope you do find her so I can spit in her shallow grave and take a shit right where her head is with all you fuckers watching. Wow. That's very, that's, that's very charming. Um, the father of, of one of them said that, huh? No, that's the oh, son. The son. Oh, it's the son. The son. Okay. He's mad because his, yeah these that's that's how they that's how they respect these people and that's how much they care for these people they don't see them as people so they call uh mark arzola his nickname is monkey they call him they call him monkey and um since all this happened his the trap house has been evicted has been shut down and um you know there were pictures of the inside of the trap house that that circulated um it's disgusting it's a mess but this is the location that Desiree was last known to be at again you guys have used a term that listeners may not be familiar with um you, the trap house you keep referring yeah you keep referring to a trap house which you know i of course you know i know what it is but a lot of people may not know that a trap house is was originally used to describe a crack house in a shady neighborhood. It's since been abused by high school students who like to pretend they're cool by drinking their mom's beer together and saying that they're part of a trap house. But <laughs> I think the trap house here is probably is probably more it's a of legitimate the trap house. <laughs> crack house in a shady neighborhood as opposed to beer drinking high school kids. Uh, drinking at their at a house their mother bought for them, you know. Sometimes in radio, and I've done radio for many years, we assume several things. A, we assume that the people that are listening to us have been listening to us throughout the show, and they might we don't know where along the show they've joined us. And two, we sometimes use terms that are industry terms that the three of us would be familiar because we've worked in uh, related fields, uh, but. 
that doesn't mean that the person joining us or listening has has any idea what it is that we're discussing. And uh, we're discussing the disappearance of Desiree Ferris right now. Uh, and she has been missing for several years. Since uh, May of 2017. May 1st was the last time she was seen by her family. And May 2nd is the last time she's reported being seen. Thank you. That's how we... And that house that she was dropped off at and seen being picked up mm-hmm. by Jason. Right. Uh-huh. Keegan. That is supposedly the trap house or the drive the trap house yes and so from what i've gathered in interviews with family members and people involved with the case another couple had received a phone call it was actually it was actually the guy that received a phone i'm not going to say any names because i don't know if his name's been released yet but um, and I know he is not incarcerated. He is still free at the moment that this individual had received a call from Jason Keegan. Keegan was panicking um, that he went over there. He had another female with him and Keegan got upset that he had brought somebody with him. But according to this female who had given a statement that uh, Desiree was in the front seat of the truck. She was unresponsive and that she took her pulse and she couldn't find one. And then they made her leave that Keegan was upset that she was even there. They made her leave that she was told that they were going to call Desiree's mother. And she believed when she left that they were going to do the right thing. And that it wasn't until a couple days later when she saw on the news that Desiree was missing, that she realized that they didn't do the right thing. Let me ask you a question, Heather, because we've kind of tiptoed around it, but I'm interested to know what your theory is as someone who's investigated this or is investigating it. What do you think, what, are, what is your theory? What is your investigative theory at this point? Do you believe she's been sex trafficked? Do you believe that she's been killed? What is your thought? And, and my theory isn't necessarily my theory, but rather what other people who have investigated this before me have learned on their own and just kind of, you know, trans, translated to me, um, is that she overdosed on um, heroin, probably heroin, and that they didn't, you know, they didn't know what to do. Um, there's been, uh, there's rumors and and people that well the stepmother and another individual had um really taken things into their own hands when they didn't feel that the police and the detectives detectives were doing everything they could do and they were they were uh, and i quote busting up into trap houses and uh and and just really taking things into their own hands and they were told that um that she had been uh, put in a barrel, and they've been told she'd been thrown into water. Well, I know there, I know there were remains found in uh, uh, Cass County at some point, which is somewhere around uh, in Har- Harrisonville, Missouri, I believe. Uh, what did those remains ever uh, have any? type of uh, uh, attachment to this case, or, or do you know? May 3rd, 2018, police officially identified human remains found in rural Cass County as Vernice Brown, 18-year-old who went missing on Valentine's Day of this year. Again, a missing girl. 
and again found by mushroom hunters, which if you'll recall, the skull in the Holly Bobo case was found by somebody that was supposed ginseng. to be ginseng hunters. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, people go out looking for mushrooms and ginseng and you never know across what they'll come. And oftentimes it's not mushrooms or ginseng. But but I believe this. I believe that young lady um, has may have been involved with the same people. Are known the same circle. Yeah, that very well could be. Um, yeah, I think I think basically what what we have here is um, that she overdosed. I do know, you know, we talked about this before. In a lot of cases, overdoses are not really overdoses. They're made to look like overdoses. But I think from what I've gathered and from what I've been told in this case, I think it was a legitimate overdose. And they panicked and I don't, I, I think they just didn't know what to do. And they, you know, I mean, obviously they're all going down if, uh, if they, <laughs> you know, uh, do the right thing. I mean, it's going to lead the cops straight to them and to everybody connected with them. So there was a, a hasty decision made to, um, get rid of her. And they may have called in some people that had, uh, more experience with that. Um, but I, I I think that's what happened with Desiree Ferris. Now, she was a tiny, slight girl. Do you know her actual height and um, weight? She was she was five feet one, and she weighed 101 pounds, had brown hair and brown eyes. You guys, I know that she was small, but especially in that area, and, you know, she's, I'm, I'm a little taller than her, but, you know, back in the day, um, I may have been taller, I wasn't much heavier, but you know, she's, uh, her, her and my statistics are similar. And I will tell you that in that area, that girls, even girls my size, we could throw down with the best of them. This is not somebody that I, I do not believe for a second. This is somebody who was, uh, weak or could easily be manipulated or overthrown. She was not, she was a street smart girl. Are you sure? I was thinking that she, at 17, she was very, not and then at 18 she just turned wild no she's she's a street smart girl she 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 has an affliction for bad boys but she's street smart you know i think i think that you know she's probably one that's easy easily influenced by you know those rose colored goggles and those you know bad boys but you know she'd probably follow them into the into the devil's den but um but no i don't think for a second that she's somebody that couldn't you know, take care of herself. On that note, let's, uh, let me go ahead and play this clip of this, um, of this interview with her mom real quick. Okay. And you don't need to be around them people. They're, I mean, they're older people. They're into this. I, I, you just need to stay away from, Oh, he wouldn't hurt me. He would protect me. And I don't, you know, I don't have to worry about him. And boy, heck, he's the prime suspect. Right. I mean, it's just, I, I just don't get it. He, he's got a daughter, duh, a year older than Desiree, and a son a year younger than Desiree. I, I just, he's got a couple of kids, and I didn't even know his that. daughter's either a year or two years older than her, and then a, a son that's just a year or so younger than her. Mm -hmm. And I, I just don't. I mean, the people either involved or that know or names that have been brought up, a majority of them have kids themselves. Do you know where she met them? Through an ex-boyfriend. Oh, okay. All of them? Yeah. 
I guess. Um, she, originally met, she originally met Rob Curry. And then um, I think Rob introduced her to Jason and um, Monkey because they were all three friends. Desiree has a heart of gold. I mean, she gives anybody, uh, she gives anybody and everybody the benefit of the doubt, and she trusted them. She has a heart of gold, and mm-hmm. they played her exactly where they wanted to, or whatever their plan was. Because mm-hmm. she was coming home that day. It was my birthday, the day that she had left, and then she had been texting with me all day long, and she had texted her sister that she was coming home. Yeah. Never made it. Patty, what do you want to say right now to the people who have information that know what happened to your daughter? Let me have her back. She's my baby. She's a daughter, a sister, and a granddaughter, a cousin. She was a girlfriend, and she was my baby. She's my youngest. She didn't deserve it. They've done to her. I just want her home. She's coming through these doors one way or other, whether it's on her own two feet or I'm carrying her through this door. She's coming home. Mm-hmm. That's all I want. I just want her back. Okay. So I think that, you know, just like all our other missing persons and homicide. Um, podcast, I think this is a really good point to just address anybody who might be listening that may have information. You have the ability to make this person's life a little better, to just give them that peace. And I think that that's a really heavy burden to bear. Um, but it is your duty to share that information. And by not sharing that information, you're as guilty as the people who did this. So we're gonna make this really easy for you today. You have options. You can call in a tip to 1-816-474-TIPS, that's T-I-P-S, or you can reach out to us at HMC Investigations, and that number is 1-866-465-0888. We'll get the information through the proper channels, and we will not relay your information to the authorities. And just keep in mind that we don't necessarily need to know the details of who, what, where, when, or why. We just need to know where to find Desiree Ferris. Thank you for joining us tonight. If you have any information, please uh, relate it as soon as you can to the post office box or phone number that had been given to you earlier in the podcast for Tracy Ellis and Heather Cohen Fletcher Long. This has been the final report till we meet again. Keep it between the ditches. (laughs) 